When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to another Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode for premium subscribers. And as always, thanks for your support. Dr. Lance Wallnau, best-selling author, is a strategist, futurist, and compelling communicator. His first book, God's Chaos Candidate, sold 100,000 copies in just six weeks, with all five major predictions accurately coming true. It was in this book that Lance predicted Donald Trump as God's Cyrus for today. God's Chaos Code is the exciting sequel to that book, which predicted Trump would be in office during a cultural civil war and an economic crisis that would test the nation's ability to survive. Now, as pandemics wreak havoc and cities burn with roving mobs angrily clawing at the symbols of their own national past, Walnow explains why this is happening. He takes you into the ancient texts he describes as God's chaos code, predicting this exact moment in history and what is coming next. Dr. Walnow is a best-selling author, a strategist, a futurist, and compelling communicator. His best-selling book, and viral media influenced millions of undecided evangelical voters to engage in the 2016 election. He's shared platforms with Ben Carson, Mike Pompeo, Ken Blanchard, and John Maxwell. He's conducted training for the United Nations and spoken at Harvard, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, and the London School of Theology. He's a frequent television guest and conference keynote speaker, and today, Lance has influenced thousands of leaders around the world. Dr. Lance Wallnow, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Great to hear your voice. Thank you. So before we get into the latest book, I want to dial back a few years to God's Chaos Candidate, which caused quite a stir, and I believe it sold something like 100,000 copies in, in just a few weeks. Explain how it was that you were one of the a very select few people at that early date were able to not only predict that Donald Trump would become president against all odds, but that he would also be president during a time of incredible civil unrest and even economic chaos. Yeah, and the you know the reality is that all of those things that uh, you know are happening actually had trends in front of them so that if you wanted to look at it from a futurist perspective you could say america's heading for a crisis the writers of uh, the fourth turning first uh, got me thinking about that uh, a decade ago which is that from you know the revolutionary war to the civil war to the second world war every 80 to 90 or so years america goes through a defining moment 
And then you look at the debt, and then you looked at the uh, the regression of America in the world, and you could see pretty much a scenario. What was interesting was the Brexit phenomena happened right before the election, which meant there's a populist urge in the heart of the nation that doesn't get picked up on by elites and by media and pollsters, but it shows up at moments of elections. And that populist yearning is that there would be something that would go into Washington to deal with the you know, to deal with what is perceived as a dysfunction. It'll be interesting to see what happens now, but that is why I could predict all those things. Uh, that plus I'm a student of the Bible. So I find that there's actually an arc to the, uh, the narrative of the Bible in terms of how things progress. And I thought, man, you know what? I'm just going to commit myself. I never expected 100,000 people to read it. So you mentioned the Bible. There is an ancient code contained in the Bible, the Chaos Code that you refer to, which is, of course, the, the title of the book, God's Chaos Code, Donald J. Trump and the Ancient Code that Reveals America's Future and the Destiny of Nations. Where in the Bible do we find this Chaos Code? Yeah, it's quite amazing. So one of the predictions I did, which is part of what put me on the New York Times, Vox, the Daily Beast, and all the left-wing uh, media sites, is I said Donald Trump will be likened to a biblical character named Cyrus. Now, all the people he was running against, the Mike Huckabees, the Ben Carson, the Rubios, the Cruises, they were all evangelically vetted. Now comes Donald Trump, three times married, personality, business developer, and he was not fitting the bill. But that's exactly what the Bible says is gonna, was going to happen for Israel when God would raise up a ruler named Cyrus, who would be a foreigner who would end up doing more to intervene for Israel than any of the Hebrew kings could do. And so when I said this Donald Trump is going to be like Cyrus, that got me in trouble because uh, a lot of evangelicals ended up voting for him when they did surveys. They said, well, why would you vote for him? And it was like, well, we felt that he was a modern day Cyrus. Then they dug me out of the woodwork and said, this is the origin of that craziness. And I was just getting a hit in the media for being a delirious, you know, evangelical futurist. And that was the moment when Netanyahu went to the White House and said, Mr. President, the Jewish people remember Cyrus because he was thanking the president for moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And that ended all of my persecutions out of the mouth of the prime minister of Israel. So let's just take a step back. And for those not familiar with King Cyrus, um, he was he not the, the king responsible for freeing the Israelis from bondage in Babylon? Very good. Well, you see, look at that. You're a good student of these things. It's exactly what happened. The Jewish people were 70 years in Babylon. Um, they were under siege. By the way, Babylon means to confuse and to, and to atomize, fragment. And so the Jewish people were taken by Babylon. They were 70 years in captivity. They had a prophet, a Jewish prophet named Jeremiah that said, after 70 years, God's going to deliver you. And sure enough, at the exact time of 70 years, a Persian ruler named Cyrus goes into Babylon, actually, actually uh, sneaks into Babylon because he goes in by diverting the river Euphrates and goes in on dry ground. And the amazing thing is Isaiah, 120 years before this man was born, said God is going to raise up a man named Cyrus. He's going to be God's deliverer, and he's going to go into the great city on dry ground. So literally, there was a prophecy fulfilled. And uh, he helped, uh, if memory serves, he, not that I was there, but he, he, he helped the <laughs> Israelis rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, did he also help build a wall and make the Philistines well, this, pay for it? 
Well, this is what happened for me. So I was studying Cyrus because I had predicted Trump and Cyrus. I also predicted Trump derangement. The term would come out in media. And I predicted an economic crisis and the fourth turning. So I had all these predictions already tracking. I went back. And as I was getting ready, because I had a lot of pressure on what's going to happen with the next election. Because I haven't written it since 2016. So I thought, well, at that moment, I went back to look at Cyrus and I realized something. Cyrus told the Jews, go back now and rebuild your temple. And 49,000 went with a guy named Zerubbabel. They went back and they started. After two years, they quit the fight. And uh, they started working on their own economics. They started building their own houses. And God sent a plague that paralyzed their economy. They were shut down economically with a plague. And at that moment, the Lord sent a prophet named Haggai, two, just two chapters in the Bible. And he said, the reason this has happened is because you are not building my project, you're building your project, and you need to consider why it is that your economy is now frozen. And so the Jewish people repented. They got back involved with building the temple, God's house, finishing the spiritual project that God put them there for. And when that was done, another phase began with Nehemiah, who came to rebuild the walls and the gates, which is the culture around the temple. And uh, I looked at that and I said, my gosh, look at this. <clears throat> you got a Cyrus Trump. You have a plague, COVID. You have an economic paralysis. Boom, we suddenly have gone from $5 trillion plus to all of it wiped out. And we're $27 trillion in debt. And uh, boom, the next thing that happens is there's an awakening of God's people to realize they need to repent. By the way, this just happened in Washington yesterday. There's over 100,000 people in Washington on Yom Kippur praying for God to uh, spare America. And it's quite an interesting uh, situation going on. But that all of it's in the Bible. It's literally the sequence of the code that takes place. And are there other parallels between, I mean, as if that's not enough, but are there other parallels between Trump and, and Cyrus? So, for example, was Cyrus a deeply flawed individual, as some, you know, suggest of Trump? Well, let's, let's just say that the heathen rulers of that era weren't known for their, uh, weren't known for their, their, their good behavior. He was, he was a conquering Gentile. But the odd thing was, as a Gentile ruler, he did three things that were preserved in history. He had eradicated the threat of terrorism from his, and look at how we haven't had a single threat, uh, Islamic threat since Trump was here. Remember, we had ISIS before Trump came around. We had domestic terrorism. We had incidents at the Pulse Club in, in Florida. We had in California. We had in Fort Hood. And suddenly it all goes silent. At the Cyrus gift was in history, he eradicated during his period of time, the threat of terror, for his people. He restored their religious heritage so that they had freedom to worship, which was returned to Jerusalem. And he provided domestic peace and prosperity during his rule, unprecedented economic benefit. Those were the three signature contributions of the era of Cyrus that retain themselves in cuneiform that we can look at today. We don't know about the scandals. We don't know about Stormy Daniels. We don't know how many harem chicks he was involved with when he was in his 30s. We just know these things are his legacy. Does uh, someone like Hillary Clinton also have a, a biblical antecedent? I don't know, someone like Jezebel, perhaps? <laughs> oh, my friend, you've been doing your research. The interesting thing about uh, Jezebel is Jezebel was married to Ahab. So I know a lot of people like to popularize this as Bill and Hillary, but it's larger than that. Jezebel is the power of manipulation, intimidation, and control 
over the uh, the nation, the, the the values of the nation, and she was married to somebody who was a pacifist who refused, in a sense, to take action. What you have is, in my opinion, the conspiracy angle is the Democratic Party is the intimidation, manipulation, and control from the riots on the streets to the breakdown of, uh, of all boundaries of definition regarding sexuality, the nuclear family, and everything. There's your Jezebel effect. The Republicans, apart from Trump, are massive Ahabs. They are, they are immobilized pacifists who simply do not know how to go on the offense unless they're being led by somebody like a Trump who's making them charge down the field. It's, it's also, a fascinating parallel. Yeah, and also Jezebel, she just kind of hung on to power, even even when I, I believe she remarried and uh, she kind of, or her son took over, she just kind of refused to leave the public stage. And in that sense, my friend, your point on Hillary is, is, is perfect, which is that she not only that, but even her, grand, her grandchildren, her granddaughter continued on the legacy, almost to the point of wiping out the kingdom, is a very strong uh, influence in Israel. But uh, even so much so that she drove, uh, she drove Elijah uh, to the point of despairing uh, for himself. And, you know, when you, can, when you can get a character like Elijah to run, uh, there's a very powerful force behind this. And, and the media is a large part of it. Remember, she had 400 false prophets of Baal that she had working for. In my opinion, the entire media industrial complex on the left is, is a collective mouthpiece for that spiritual force that intimidates, manipulates, and destroys. When they get their fix on you, they can ruin your life, and they will do it. Didn't didn't Jeremiah go someone, summon uh, someone, uh, sort of a warrior-type figure to take on Jezebel, and could that have been Trump? Yeah, there's no doubt that Donald Trump has a couple of archetypes that he fulfills. Cyrus is the, the one that I felt I felt inspired to commit to, and thank God that that was confirmed by Netanyahu. But you have Jehu was a Bible character who went after uh, Jezebel directly. Um, and, and you have Samson as another prototype. You have Samson particularly because of his torrid history with Philistine babes. And he would go out nonetheless with a club. And in his anger, the thing about uh, Samson was when his indignation was aroused, the anointing worked. And if you've ever noticed with Donald Trump, when he gets angry, he actually gets motivated and focused. It's one of the most unusual things in the world. The typical person, when they get angry, they make mistakes. With Donald Trump, when he's angry, he's actually taking taking ground. And, That's uh, a Samson. Right. A couple other Samson parallels jump out. Samson, well, he was blind, and so he was talking about this unseen enemy. And Trump has been using that term a lot with respect to COVID, the unseen enemy. Yeah, and it's unfortunate in a sense that Donald Trump has, has a background which enables him to have a sense of uh, New York developer street smarts, but almost with a prophetic uh, capacity. You remember he got criticized for what he talked about what he, when he discussed what he was, it was in, what was it, Brussels? I was talking about different parts of Europe that have gone down, and then the press jumped on, how dare he insult these nations? And then they have a gigantic terrorist incident. And so he's been, he's been remarkably prescient and, 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 and accurate in, in predicting uh, certain things. And I think in this area also you're talking about, uh, he, has, he has a track record of being able to pick up on stuff. And uh, I don't know if we, we should make too much of this, but Samson liked to wield the, the jawbone of a donkey, and that's the, the, obviously the symbol of the Democratic Party. Sometimes uh, he, he's kind of using the ultimate judo move and using their own 
uh, missteps against them. So I, I suppose you could argue that he's wielding the jawbone well, well, of a donkey. Well, that, well that's, that's true. And you'll also see that his own uh, detractors will say that his tweets are, uh, it's the jawbone that he wields against his enemies that is his biggest problem because they're, they're offended by, by what he says and, and, and the nature of, uh, of what he prognosticates. So it really worries me talking about Trump as a, Donald Trump as being uncannily um, intuitive is he says that if he's not reelected, there will be a crash in the stock market like you won't believe. And that, that should be worrisome because while his enemies try to make him a buffoon, the truth of the matter is they've completely underestimated him. No world ruler underestimates Donald Trump except the Democrats. And, uh, and he's warning that investor confidence is going to be fragmented if the results of the election in America look like it has been fraudulently overturned by a rigged election. And so you're seeing this thing come to a colossal head right now in, in terms of uh, the chaos code. And that's why, the, you know, godschaoscode.com is where I've committed to the six, uh, the six keys to understanding the chaos, because it's not just here. It's going to be global. I don't want to belabor the point, but I just want to get back to, uh, to to King Cyrus for a moment because you you make the point that there have been throughout history a number of King Cyrus uh, archetypes. Uh, you mentioned Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, even Brazilian President Balacero. Explain why they are King Cyrus types. Oh, sure. I'll go beyond that. We could go with uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary and uh, with Poland right now, their president. The nature of a Cyrus type, if you look at the phenomena globally, is that they arise as an expression of populist um, desire for their nation to retain its religious values and cultural heritage. Therefore, these Cyrus types are actually rising up to preserve the legacy of Judeo-Christian influence within their country, and they're not willing to have it invaded by, by the West's um, you know, progressive social values, nor are they necessarily willing to surrender their sovereignty. In Europe, you're seeing a movement constantly towards this. They're calling it nationalism as though it's negative. Nationalism is nothing more than patriotism. Unhealthy nationalism would be maybe China and Japan and Germany in the Second World War. Healthy nationalism is the United States and Great Britain. So what you've got is these are nationalists, but they're healthy nationalists, and they don't want to be assimilated into the global beast system talk about a conspiracy. Uh, in the book, we cover this right now in Davos. They're looking for an economic global reset after COVID. They're saying all oh, the world has to be reset. God help us if America has an upturn, a downturn in the, in the market that's, that is uh, sustained. Then you're going to see the global economy reset, China and uh, other currencies integrated, and Davos and the wealthy in Europe are going to be working with our Silicon Valley tech giants to create a kind of economy that would be like your end time scenario where uh, your sovereignty gets lost as a nation, you would be assimilated into empire and the empire would be a conglomerate of nations participating in this global economy. Uh, do you see, or does the chaos code predict that this, this uh, renewed enthusiasm for the nation state, the rise of these populist movements across Europe, North America and elsewhere, is, is this the last gasp of the nation state or are we in the midst of a, a total a political realignment in the world? I believe you're, 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 on, you're actually on mark here because it's both. 
So the, this is why I love going back to the Bible and looking at its long arc of predictive, you know, when Isaiah predicts Cyrus 120 years before he's born, and it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, so we know it's valid, and Jeremiah with the 70-year captivity. I look at, well, what about the last days? Jesus said, <clears throat> Jerusalem is going to be trodden underfoot of Gentiles until the Jewish people are back in control of their city. Oh my gosh, that happened in 1967. So I'm looking at this prophetically, and Jesus said, when he returns, the nations will be gathered together, and as a shepherd gathers his sheep and separates them from the goats. There's two kinds of nations, two kinds of dispositions and people, and they are sheep and goats. The difference between the two is whether or not they are um, malicious or whether or not they are compassionate with um, the seed of uh, Abraham, the Jewish people and the Christian. So do you see, uh, in terms of a, a, a political realignment and in the, in the, a reemergence of uh, conservatism, a new conservatism? Uh, totally, yeah. Maybe point me to some indicators. Uh, I mean, aside from the results of the uh, 2016 election, what else are you seeing? Are you seeing any indication in polls, let's say, with younger people, a rise in conservative uh, thought? Yeah, and this, this is, to me, it's interesting, because it's not only 2016, but there's been elections in Europe, um, which to me is kind of curious, because I started looking at Europe differently when I, I, I ran into a comment by Steve Bannon, and it was just an aside, and I take in a, a, in a very eclectic gathering of, of information, and Bannon was one of them. And Bannon said, you know, Europe is two years ahead of the United States. So when I looked at Europe as two years ahead of the United States, I started examining Europe. They had elections again in 2018. We had our midterms. There's a consistent, and I think the Pew data will verify this, there's a consistent moving towards the right in Europe. Patriotism isn't on the decline. As much as uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the leaders in Europe want to see a diminishing of patriotism, uh, they, they're actually seeing an increase of it. Same thing is happening in Central America and South America. The difference is they have a little bit more of a socialist orientation because they've never in, enjoyed uh, the power of capitalism, but, they, but the democracy and family values are not negotiable. And so you've got, uh, you've got a certain kind of a, an interesting thing happening there with their religious values. And once again, it's religious values that undergird the populist movement. But I'd be curious on what you're seeing in terms of the younger demographic, because the Gen Zs are looking different than millennials. What, what kind of information are you looking at? Uh, I, I've seen some uh, polls, and also I, uh, I subscribe to uh, Dr. Steve Turley's YouTube and, and um, have been following some of the things that he's been following. And there does seem to be, particularly with uh, the latest cohort, the um, Gen Z, uh, they are more conservative um, at, the, at that age, let's say 18 to 25, more conservative, although it's, you know, it's like maybe 30% of them identify as conservative, but that's higher than it was with uh, the uh, the millennials. It made yep. it, they, maybe 20% or 25% identified as conservative, and then you go back to uh, the boomers, and it might have been 15%. So we're seeing a definite trend with those 18 to 25-year-olds, and of course, and then once you hit 40, a lot more people start to become conservative once you start oh, paying a mortgage and so forth. So, yeah, there definitely seems to be a, a, a trend there. Yeah, and I've been looking at the uh, at the the incremental growth of conservatism with Gen Z and 
and some of their values towards life too. It's interesting their pro-life perspective, as you even with the millennials, that that's one area where we gain ground. Though there's been a loss of uh, religious influence, but then again, this is like where Viktor Orban is so interesting and in Hungary because he realized the influence of the uh, Soros-funded West in terms of media and academia and began to draw uh, strict boundaries around media propagandizing and academia. And as a result, they're seeing their increase in birth rates and they're seeing, they're seeing the, uh, this, this kind of a, a resurgence of populism. I agree with Dr. Uh, Turley too, that I've been observing this and I work with many of these governments around the world. So I know that they have the same closet conservatives that we've got in D.C. They agree with me, but they have to keep their head down because they, they realize that they represent, in a sense, a, a different trend than is popular uh, in, in the media. So the polling mafia data aside, which, I don't know, it just seems to be counterintuitive. When I see Trump rallies and 35,000 people or whatever that number was showing up in places like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then Jill Biden at an event in Nebraska, there may have been four or five people <laughs> sitting around oh, yeah. wearing masks, uh, and yet the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the polls still show Biden ahead. Do you, uh, do you care to weigh in with a prediction on, on uh, November 3rd? Yeah, well, and this is the other thing, I think, which is, which is a sober realization. That is that Donald Trump took Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, by only like it was 170,000 votes. When you, got, when you have 120 million and some odd votes going out, and the margin is 14,000 or 20,000 in Michigan, Wisconsin, it literally was a razor's margin. It was a... I had a secular guy come to a conference of journalists who uh, actually was the one who told me, which is why it shocked me. He said, you guys don't get it. You guys are like faith people. He said, let me tell you, from an outsider's perspective, it was a miracle. That was, that was a miracle what happened because you won an inside straight with those swing states on a margin of votes. And by the way, the margin of votes that came out was a group that Barna discovered that was missed by the pollsters. It's called Sage Cons spiritually active, governmentally engaged conservatives, people that will listen to, to your, your show, for instance, they're spiritually active, but they might not be self-identifying as church going and they're governmentally engaged because they don't trust government. They're keeping an eye on it. And they're conservative because their worldview basically is conserving wisdom rather than fragmenting it on experimentation. So the sage cons number 20 million in the United States, they were the swing vote for Trump. You're looking at them in those arenas. What do you make, though, of this theory that this, this, there will be a red mirage, uh, that on election night, uh, Trump will win in a landslide, but then as these universal mail, mail-in ballots come trickling in in the days and perhaps weeks to come, all of these red states will suddenly flip over to blue. Uh, do you think that there's any, any possibility that that might happen? Yes. And uh, you have to remember that I think by September 16th, 25% of votes have already been cast before the first debate because you've got those, um, you know, out of, you've got those ballots that are already, already coming in stuff. The, um, the, the uh, reality is that this is going to be a night for legal voting to show a trend with Trump uh, that'll be strong. And then you're going to see all the networks, including Facebook, has already said they're not going to announce a winner. 
And it's going to be, remember, every vote counts, every vote counts. And then you're going to see the flood of specious um, bundles. And then it's going to be bundles of votes that will be found that were cast for Republicans that weren't entered. And don't forget, you've got Senate races that are equally critical. And there's going to be some controversy on some Senate races with some salacious details of voter suppression. The left will try to make it look like the right is voter suppressing, but the vast uh, evidence will be clear to the country that um, these votes are coming in from blue states and uh, to flip the result, Uh, which is why, sorry to say, the Supreme Court situation is so critical, because if uh, Trump says, no, I challenge the results, the states, uh, the states are going to um, verify and certify where they're Democrat. They're going to go, oh, no, these votes are valid. Then it's going to go to the court. And the, and the district courts are going to be primarily dominated by Democrats. They're going to say, we support the states. And then you're going to see it have to go up to the highest court. And that'll be riots in Washington and in cities and all the stuff, all the nonsense you're looking at, at was an expression of don't steal our vote. This is Trump's way of taking America. And it's quite, you know, this is the reason why many of us that are Christians have been praying and fasting, because we see this as a kind of manifestation of a of a of a different kind of a virus and it's like a spiritual and emotional virus that causes people to really lose their ability to be grounded and that's the scenario that could happen unless unless what unless there is such an overwhelming evidence of support for trump and uh and that the the vote there is serious credibility issues cast on the uh, nature of the mail-in ballots and I think uh, this court case right now is going to really be quite interesting to see how the nation comes out of that. So that's that is a very real possibility. And and uh, so are you foreseeing the election being decided by Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett? No, it's going to be decided. It was always Justice Roberts uh, role. Our, my fear was always where he would end up. Now you're going to see a conservative shift on the court. And by the way, if I was if I was doing a spiritual exegesis on this, can you imagine Ruth Ginsburg dying on Rosh Hashanah? This is the Hebrew New Year. Mm-hmm. That means that on the very first day of the Hebrew New Year, in the beginning of God's New Year, this decisive factor takes place. And then what is the day on which Donald Trump makes his announcement at five o'clock? What's happening in Washington corresponds to what's happening in Jerusalem. The high priest, uh, the Yom Kippur, the holiest day of holy days, is, is praying for the atonement of the sins of a nation. And while that sacred high day is going on, the president is making an atonement of a sorts for the sins of abortion by offering a conservative as a candidate. So it's not just the election. It could be that, which is another problem. You could sell. You could you could you could have a decision made in the court. But if you don't have a decision made in public opinion, it doesn't last. That was the Volstead Act, repealing drinking and, and uh, prohibition. We still have a battle of public opinion. Uh, if uh, Trump wins either in a landslide or just simply a majority of the uh, Electoral College votes or ends up winning it in the, in the courts, how do you foresee the left responding? Continued uprising, civil unrest? With characteristic grace and dignity, which means burning <laughs> cities, destruction, all kinds of chaos. You got to remember, I'm the guy on CNN. If you ever, if you ever saw the inauguration where CNN shows a limo burning in Washington, that was my limousine. Oh. I just got out of it, and uh, and Antifa came around the corner and uh, threw a brick through the window. Which was oddly enough, I had a Hispanic driver, yes. and so they 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 uh, they uh, they almost 
killed my driver. He, got, he had to go to the hospital, hit his arm. He got out and then they, uh, they lit his limo on fire. So that was how they handled the inauguration. Can you imagine the delirium of how they're going to handle the possibility of four more years? So, so we have, we have this, this scenario, but you know, uh, I don't believe that, uh, it's like Steve Turley says, uh, he's got the interesting data on militias, which I didn't know about, but I ran into him as one of my sources. And I looked at that and I said, you know, I never look at this. Isn't it funny how they always call them right-wing militias and the left-wing, they call them protests. Why don't they just call the left, uh, left-wing militias leading protests? Because that's, that's what you're ending up with. Experienced activists and arsonists. Malicious mm. on right. the left. On the right, there's no manifestation of that. What does uh, God's chaos code tell us about the, uh, the immediate future after the election, if anything? Well, what it, what it tells us is this. It tells us that, the, uh, that in the aftermath of the, of the election, if we're able to retain, if, Trump, if Donald Trump is able to retain his, uh, his capacity in office, you're going to see law and order versus anarchy. I believe the anarchists are losing the argument for anarchy. I think they, the nice thing about uh, what's happening is that the, uh, the left has completely killed their credibility in terms of uh, defending a protest movement, and people see it for what it is. I think Trump will be supportive for the suppression of anarchy. I think you're going to see suburban voters that are going to be, con- going to be continually alarmed that these things are spilling over into their, into their communities that could affect their children. And uh, so I think you're going to see a, a anarchy and crazy, but even if the left tries to spin it, the American people are going to want a cessation and an end to the violence and the, po- the, the political left will be caught in a very interesting dilemma. They will have to be speaking to the people for calm and they will not want to do that. And, and, and any reluctance on their part to speak for civil order is going, to, is going to further alienate voters from them. 2022 is going to be the key moment. Remember, everything is going to get torqued out. If Trump is robbed, it's going to be a backlash. It'll be a conservative backlash. If the left feels robbed, you're going to see, you're going to see the uh, America is in for a season of turmoil either way. It's just we can hold on to the cabin of the flight or we can let Al Qaeda take it. I say let's hold the cabin. We talked about a new conservative age. Do you see a parallel spiritual revival? Well, that's the beauty of the code. The chaos code says that in Haggai, after the economic shaking, after the rebuke, prophetic rebuke that the people had allowed themselves to be focused on their own well-being rather than on God's mission, the mission God had was the restoration of a house. And it wasn't just a church. It was faith for the nation. It was a temple for the entire nation. So as the church, as the people of God returned to their original mandate, you're seeing it happen now. God sent an awakening. The word you are is used where the Lord stirred the heart of his people. And that word means awakening in Hebrew. Literally, it's like an eagle stirring its nest, which is a prophetic sign like in the United States. So there's going to be a great awakening that is coming as a result of the, um, of the church realizing its desperate uh, situation, and as it unifies around uh, a, a, some effort at recommunicating the fundamental values. Don't forget, burning the flag, burning the Bible, taking down Catholic statues. Once middle America understands that this is an attack on middle-class values and it's not random, 
It's not anarchy. It's an attack on the middle class of America. That's where you're going to see the conservative backlash that will result in an awakening, which will result in many conversions, by the way, like a Billy Graham era, probably 1948 to 1952 period, where America is going to be frightened into repentance for fear that uh, there's a judgment happening. Uh, I want to ask you quickly about the um, the Abraham Accord, and uh, we're, we're seeing a number of Gulf states sign on to a normalization of relations uh, with Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain. Uh, it is now rumored that uh, Oman, perhaps even Sudan, maybe Kuwait, eventually Saudi Arabia, will also sign on. Uh, some point to that as the uh, the false peace that is uh, prophesied, I think, in Daniel, which will sort of be a precursor to Jacob's troubles, the end times. What are your thoughts? Uh, the false peace isn't going to come from Donald Trump and a Gentile ruler who has helped Israel on the Golan Heights and moving the embassy. The false peace is going to come from uh, another character that's going to represent the aspirations of integrating Islam, the EU and a new economic system into um, peace in the Middle East. Trump will not be that guy, but I understand. I, re I was young enough to remember when Mikhail Gorbachev, the poor guy had like a birthmark on his forehead, <laughs> and every, every wannabe prophet who had a, had a paranoia problem was saying, Lance, look at this Gorbachev. It's the mark of the beast. Look, you can see a mark right on him. I said, that mark of the beast isn't a birthmark. And Donald Trump isn't going to be the Antichrist in the peace accord. But here's, here's, what, here's what Trump is doing. He is, after taking out Soleimani, the number one terrorist threat to Israel, after taking him out, and he had sent a message to Iran, and he sent a message to the Arab states that are not aligned with Iran, that the U.S. is the strong horse. And they understand that language. You know, they're very tribal, obviously. It's a different kind of a cultural equation than our sophisticated West. And so to them, it's strength or it's not strength. They saw Trump as strong. So Trump said, you want peace with me? Work things out with Israel. I'm 100% with Israel. And by the way, if you're working with them, I like to do business with you too. So he moved them in that direction. That was Jared's job. Now the trade-off, Christians cannot handle, um, this is why Christians don't get involved in politics, because they're all in nothing and they're black and white. So, so what Trump has done is he hasn't created a two-state solution. What he has done is he has not taken that off the table because he wants to put borders around Israel. Most people don't realize this. In acknowledging that there's Palestinian territory, he's also putting a border around the Palestinian territory that is 100% in the control of Israel. He literally is building a Nehemiah wall that Israel has around the Palestinians. Now, it's up to a future administration, future uh, you know, peace people to figure out what happens with the Palestinians. But what he's doing is He's saying, look, you're here. We know that you're here. I acknowledge it. Everybody knows you're here. He's putting he's, he's acknowledging their existence and then creating a buffer zone where Israel has control of their own borders. That is important for their security and for their peace. And, uh, you know, and of course, the, Pal the Palestinians don't want it because the, the, the open secret is they get so much money from other nations to support them being adversarial to um, you know, to Israel, that they're, they're incentivized to not have peace. Who wants to give up a lifestyle you're making money from? So global governments fund them to resist Israel. So therefore, they will never have a motivation for peace. 
How do we get a copy of God's Chaos Code, Donald J. Trump, the ancient code that reveals America's future and the destiny of nations? You can go to Amazon right now. It's about to be released. Hot off the presses. I'll tell you what, I had, I had to go back and check it out. That's why I'm starting to get, I know it's going to stir up a lot of controversy when I write what I'm writing. Because the conversation like this is incendiary for people. The left hates it when people are very clear about pulling the curtains back on what they're up to. So GodsChaosCode.com, you can just go right there and order it. Amazon is, you know, loading up with it. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you some more in the future, my friend. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>